Welcome to the Enterprise Mobility Roundup podcast, brought to you by Blue Fletch. We discuss technology topics related to Android and workforce devices and how they intersect with business and mobility. Thank you for joining us for another uh, session of the Blue Fletch Enterprise Mobility Roundup. Today, we're going to talk about a, a topic that Richard and I, we've actually been, been working together for almost two decades now. We started out in the Windows CE days, actually before there was Wi-Fi networks and it was devices you put in cradles. The cradles would sync data back and forth. It's just crazy times in hindsight. And you know, it's, it's difficult to think how much things have changed in the last 20 years. But on the same side, it's also interesting how little things have changed, especially from a support standpoint. And um, you know, one of the things I always talk about, it's not, not as easy as buying devices and just throwing them out in the field and they work. There's a lot of you know, day one, yeah, it's expensive, but the next four years is a lot more expensive if you don't manage it properly. And we we sat down and thought through, like, what are the eight lessons we've gotten the most out of the last eight years when we think about support, support costs, and you know, day two is the phrase a lot of people use. But you know, day one, you spend a lot of money to buy something. Day two is every day after that where you're supporting it and there is a cost to managing those. So the first area, um, Richard, this is probably, you know, I think you called this out, or I like the, the quote you used here. What's the, the first area you think about when you're thinking about uh, support for devices? Have more data. Um, data is important because uh, if you have more data, there's less finger pointing. Uh, the worst thing that could happen during deployment is an issue occurs and it's a blocker and, you know, the network team is telling the device team that, you know, it's not our fault, it's your fault. The device team is then telling the application team it's your fault. And then, you know, it's like this whole Spider-Man meme where everybody's pointing at one another and nobody's fixing the, you know, the darn problem. But if you have the data to show that, you know, the issue resides at, you know, this level or it's in, you know, this part of the deployment, then it's less finger pointing. People, you know, tend to calm down and they don't feel attacked and you can actually focus on solving the problem. So is it, is it no finger pointing or less finger pointing? It's less. Like somebody's still <laughs> going to be a jerk and probably point their finger regardless. But the more data you have, you know, the less feelings get hurt. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. Less less hurt feelings, more data. Uh, the, the next area we talked about, this is a good segue from that, was easy to use data tools. And, and for me, it's always the, if, if I have to teach a guy on the support desk how to use SQL queries... He's not going to use it. So what's what's your thoughts around tooling when you think about the types of tools you want to put in front of your support teams? What does that look like from a, a data and data access standpoint? Yeah, I want to give them the tools that they need so that they can solve problems without, you know, having to get the whole team involved. Right. So, you know, data should be accessible. It should make sense. Um, you know, dashboards work really great. A lot of the tools now are. Um, very accessible. They're cheap. So there's no reason why somebody doesn't have you know, mixed panel or Splunk boards Tableau. or Power BI, BI yeah. uh, Tableau. Uh, you know, use those tools. Think about how you want to present the data. Think about what could go wrong. You know, what does a healthy deployment look like? Let's define that. And when it doesn't look healthy, you know, anybody should be able to click on something and dive into that area to figure out what's going on. Yeah, building those, those baselines of profiles for me is always really important. Like this is a site, this is what a good site looks like. You know, that way it makes it easier for the support team to look at it and say, exactly. yeah, there's there's a problem here, let's go fix it. And then I think the other thing on the data tools is can I export it to a CSV or Excel? Yeah, that's <laughs> this that's, is how I know I'm getting old. 
It's always important. There's always somebody who is the Excel wizard. And so, um, you know, the tools are great. And one, you don't, like you said, you don't want to teach somebody how to use um, SQL, but there's a lot of people that can use Excel really well. So if you can get the data out and use Excel just for those one-off scenarios where you need to dig or transform or use a pivot table, then uh, that's always a plus. What's, what's up with pivot table and air quotes? I saw that. Because <laughs> you use pivot tables and I don't. <laughs> I love pivot tables. It's awesome. All right. Number three, remote control. And then we're not, we're not talking about uh, a remote you press buttons on, but what's, what's that? Uh, what is remote control to you? So being able to remotely um, see a device, being able to log in and click around. So that's very helpful if um, an issue is happening at a particular site that you can log in and try to recreate it or log in and watch a user recreate an issue that, you know, oftentimes only happens in that environment, doesn't happen um, in the lab or uh, in the office. Yeah. I was just, I think about, I've had some clients that cheaped out and didn't want to spend money on remote control and it just gets really expensive. Flying somebody out there. To- I even <laughs> just like calling somebody to store because you're taking somebody off the floor or in a warehouse, you're taking somebody off the, off the, the assembly line or manufacturing line. And that guy, you know, the $4 you're saving, uh, you're spending like 20 on labor on both sides. So it gets really, yeah. it's, it is, it is a cost trade. So definitely invest in the remote control uh, early on. And, you know, worst comes to worst, try it out. If you don't use it, cancel after the first year, Yeah, try and then make it work. Number, number four is reboot button or a reset button. Um, what's, what's your, your thoughts around that? What does that look like to you? So it, I guess there's two pieces to it. Um, on one hand, I think we've all gotten accustomed to if something doesn't work, turn it off and turn it back on. Uh, so if the <laughs> so device your mom, isn't your working. Mom calls, mom did turn it off. And then, <laughs> yeah, then it magically works. And so um, on one hand, like that's a data point you should track, right? Like if you see excessive reboots in an area, that tends to be a leading indicator for an issue or a problem. But also um, giving people the ability to rebuild devices out in the field sometimes helps, uh, especially if you have a very um, complex environment, um, maybe a blend of legacy systems, or uh, you know, it's a good way to just fact check that like that device is in a really good state. So you know, maybe there's a device upgrade and something didn't build or deliver or configuration didn't land um, correctly. I know back in the day, uh, databases on mobile devices would get corrupt all the time. So being able to rebuild a device out in the field, uh, you know, sometimes save money, save time, save phone calls to the help desk or sending a device back to the TDC. So, um, you know, being able to have that in the field as a tool for end users sometimes can be invaluable. Yeah, I think the, the one trade-off there I would, I would throw out there is make sure that it's not a common practice. I remember one, one facility I went to and I walked in in the morning and there was a lady and she had 40 devices and they were all rebooting and resetting. I'm like, what, what are you doing? She goes, Oh, we called the help desk one time and they, they taught us how to re- reboot or rebuild a device. So every morning I come in and rebuild them all. And I'm like, that is, uh, <clears throat> just the amount of data traffic thing for things pulling down. But the, to Richard's point, the, you know, the tools, especially with Android and Z- GTE or zero touch, you have the ability to take a device that's in a bad state, reboot it, and it will pull, repull everything down from the MDM and, and start working again. So having that as an option, um, but do be able to control it and don't make it standard practice for your employees to redo that to all 40 devices in your site every single day. So, right. <laughs> it gets, uh, gets a, that, that gets expensive too. Um, the, next, the next area we talked about was 
not being afraid to customize your experience. And this is, um, you know, from a support standpoint, I always think about the, you know, you have a specific business. You don't have to follow a pattern everybody else does. But for you, when you think about that, what is what are the, the key lessons you have around owning the experience and having it customized to you? Yeah, you oftentimes some, you can save money, you can find efficiencies. You know, every business runs sort of the same, but they all do different things. And whether that's the culture of the business, how long they've been in business, um, sometimes there's a carryover of our business debt, but not from a money perspective, but, you know, something went wrong in operational process debt. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, you, know, you don't, you want to protect that. So just understanding those things and don't be afraid to do something that's not off the shelf that if it's going to make the end user more efficient, like those are things that you want to solve now and not solve them, you know, in the middle of the crisis when you know, everybody's on this email thread and there's a blocker out there. Uh, you want to think about those things ahead of time. Yeah. For me, it's the, I think about the end, the end user, you want them to think as little as about the technology as possible. You want them serving the customer, doing their job and, and they don't want to be fixing technology either. Like they're, they got hired for a job. They want to get their stuff done and get home and make things work. They don't want to be monkeying around with you know, trying to figure out how SD cards work or settings on devices. Right. Um, le- lesson six was, this is, this is sort of a hard one for a lot of people, but don't, don't be cheap on important things. Yes. Yeah. We saw this. There's probably a, a retailer out there that I am sure 50% of us shop at regularly and, um, they didn't buy cradles for their devices. And, you know, it came time for, uh, I think they were pushing out an application update and they wanted to understand why, you know, their updates weren't landing at, you know, a higher rate. And it's like, well, every employee took their device, put it in their locker and turned it off every night. <laughs> exactly. So when are the devices are going to update in that window, um, the devices that people use during that period of time, which is also not ideal. And so then they understood, okay, that's why we ought to have cradles uh, to make sure that, you know, when they come to work, that, the device is in a higher state of charge. When we do device or OS updates, it typically happens at night. And if they're hooked up to power, just like you would update your um, phone or your watch or what have you, uh, you know, those things don't typically happen on battery power or when you're using them. The other one I've seen people cheap out about is wireless infrastructure. So you have a giant warehouse and you know you don't have coverage in certain areas. So you have employees that are literally walking back and forth from where they're performing their tasks to another area to actually make data synchronize. And it's just like, cause some dude didn't want to spend an extra couple grand on more APs in the warehouse. They're spending probably thousands of bucks a week in operational, you know, in, in labor costs. And those employees, they're pissed. That guy doesn't want to do that. That guy wants to get his job done, wants to make things happen. And so you have unhappy employees, you have inefficient, you know, inefficient tasks because you were being cheap around certain areas like that. So that's, you know, really back. And I think you have talked about this before. It's the, the cost trade-offs. Look at your cost trade-offs. You think about the, the things you do the most, and that's where you should really go invest things. Yeah. The other one I see is devices. So as an organization, we've made a commitment to move this next generation device, but instead of replacing all devices, we're only going to replace the ones that are broken or not in service. And over time, we'll eventually get to all the new devices. And so 
I think people don't take the time to understand the impact of that, meaning, you know, if I'm in a location and somebody else has a newer device or a newer device is available, you know, we see people take devices and hide devices and make sure that it's only available to them. Or you have a situation where, you know, why is this store more efficient than this other store has less problems? It's like, well, they have the newer technology. These devices are twice as fast and the newer applications that we rolled out work much better on, on these devices. And so, you know, back to your point, thinking about the, um, operational impact or some of the situations that you could never think of, but would actually happen when you're out in the field supporting these deployments um, occur. Yeah, I, I think back to a specific example we saw where we had a client and they they had sites complaining. We went to the sites and normally I think one of the one of the apps we were looking at it was about eight seconds for it to start up, and these sites it was 60, 70 seconds for the app to start up after the employee clicked on it. We looked at it and like, well, these sites have devices that are four years older and Moore's Law is a thing. So they're, the newer devices were eight times faster and the app started up eight times faster. And you, you think about that, you know, for 20 employees in a store times a minute extra every time they start a device, it gets really expensive, really fast over over a wide scale. So it's, you know, don't don't be cheap on the important things. Invest where it makes sense. Measure and this this go back, goes back to like tooling around measuring and knowing things, having data and being able to look at it and say, yeah, this store is more efficient than this store. Lesson seven is patches. So tell me about patches. Yeah, patches are important. I think um, another one of the episodes we we're talking about Log4j and just, you know, be on top of updates for the libraries that you use, third party applications that you use, you know, the OSs, um, you know, many organizations approve, a, you know, a version of a stack of software and then they don't want to change. And then the longer you wait, the harder it is to change. And, you know, oftentimes you could set yourself up for an exploit, whether you know it's a exploit or you know, it happens to somebody else. And then now you're rushing to do, you know, what you should have done over months and years of time in you know, a day or two because everybody's hair on fire. Yeah, and I, I I call this patch strategy. You should you should force yourself to go through and push out a patch either quarterly or annually. Have some strategy for doing it, even if you don't need it. Like having that strategy to know like there's a zero day exploit. I need to fix this before somebody else does. And I saw one client. I think they ended up bringing every single device back in. So they shipped ten thousand devices home and shipped ten thousand new devices out and it got really expensive really fast. And if they had invested in a patch strategy before, they wouldn't have had to do that. Which I, I think the lesson eight is sort of a corollary to this or maybe opposite to this, but yeah, OS stability. And this is mm-hmm. one where we always think about people say, I want to be on the next version. I want to be on Android 14. I want to, when are we going to roll out Android Android 15? And I, I look at them and say, you have a stack. You're on Android 8. What is the business reason for moving to a newer version? And for you, when you when you try to counsel people on this, what's the, what's the typical argument to get back? Stay with the major version you can as long as you can. Uh, most of the... Uh, rugged OEMs right now support, you know, years of support. They have um, patches for patches. five plus years. Yeah. Yep. You know, Zebra with the lifeguard works really well. And um, just even the whole update process, um, they've been working really hard with Google. Also know like Honeywell and Samsung, um, you know, likewise, but, you know, patching your OS and updating your OS is, 
much easier today than it is before. But, you know, staying on a version, you know, oftentimes helps just because, um, you know, in the Android world, you know, going from, you know, nine to 10 is, is big or 10, 11 is big, um, 11 to 12. And so, you know, are you ready to, you know, potentially rewrite or redeploy all your applications? Um, you know, how they interface with the network. So I think if you can stay with the major version as long as you can, as long as you're up to date with your security patches, you know, that, you know, is my recommendation. Stick, stick with one version. All right, to do a quick recap, number one lesson was no finger pointing, more data, or you, you said it something nicer than me. It was a, it was yeah, a, more data, less feelings less, get hurt. Less finger pointing, not no finger pointing. <laughs> less, <laughs> less feelings getting hurt. Number two is data, use data tools that are easy to use. So have data that can be consumed. And so Brett can export it to Excel because everybody knows Brett loves Excel and pivot tables. Number three was invest in remote controls. So have the ability to have your support team remote into devices. Absolutely. Um, not have to have somebody there in the field or take somebody off the line. Number four is resets. So enter- enterprise resets or resets in the field where you take a device and rebuild it in the field. Another point of that is it doesn't have to stay out there forever. So it's, uh, you know, it's seasonal, like you have snow chains and you're a forerunner in Colorado, <laughs> you know, in the summertime, there's no reason for you to drive around with that. And so once, you know, your deployment has been out there and it's baked and it's more or less stable, that is something that you could turn off and have the ability to turn on when needed. Yeah. Or, or like a retailer, a good example would be holiday season. Yep. Because you, you, you need, need uptime, need availability. Uh, the next one, number number five, was don't be afraid to customize the experience. So mm-hmm. make, make it make it work for your business. Number six, don't be cheap on the important things. Don't 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 cheap out on us. Number seven is have a patching strategy. Be able to know how to um, deploy patches in the field. Have it tested. You're going to get a zero day exploit eventually. Figure out how to how to get in front of that. And number eight was stick with an OS version if you can. I know on iOS, it's pretty much impossible because Apple wants to force an OS version to all their devices every um, every six months, it feels like. Yep. Um, Google is getting the same way on consumer devices. Um, but if you have a rugged device, uh, most of your um, manufacturers are able to help just because they understand from an enterprise perspective how important that is. Yeah. Zebra, Zebra Honeywell, Panasonic, Datalogic. Spectralink, they all have really good policies and processes to build around, you know, having your, your OSs and your patch patch strategy. So for you, is there is there one of these that if you had to pick one that is the most important when you think about day two support and supporting devices yep, over number, the long run? Number one is important to me. Um, you know, I don't want to be the jerk in the room. And, <laughs> you know, my job as a consultant oftentimes is to tell people their baby is ugly while having them like me at the same time. So the more data that I can have and you know, not point blame at people, but actually describe and, you know, talk about the problem. That's helped me out a ton in my career. More, more data points, less hurt feelings. I like it. That should be a t-shirt we make. And then my, my favorite is remote controls. Just like having the ability to get into devices in the field just makes it so easy to support stuff and get and have your developers, have your support team be able to actually see the problems when they're happening. So for me, that's really important for me. Um, in summary, you know, the devices are expensive day one, the, but day two on what we call day two, which is the four years after you buy it, that's where it gets really expensive. If you don't manage it properly, you don't set expectations. So really think about that as you're building your device strategy and device rollout plan. 
And uh, you know, if you have other questions, you know, definitely feel, feel free to reach out to us. We're, we, lo- we love talking about this stuff. And, uh, and thank you guys for joining us for today. And Richard, thanks for, for hopping on again. Yep. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Enterprise Mobility Roundup podcast. If you enjoyed the discussion, please take a few moments to rate us. If you'd like to listen to future episodes, please subscribe. To learn more about mobility topics or submit any questions, visit us at bluefletch.com.